Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello everyone and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I'm excited to have fellow NSCHBC members, Sonda Kunze, Kunze, I'll say it right, a healthcare consultant and educator out of Ohio with team members in Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New York, and Kentucky. She specializes in community behavioral health, redesign documentation, and coding rules. So great topic today, which leads me into our podcast topic that many of our listeners have inquired about and also I've been looking to maybe get into the behavioral health and mental health space. So this is going to be a good topic today. Sonda, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Terry. And thanks for having me on. This is definitely a subject matter that's near and dear to my heart. I just love the specialty. I mean, if you brought me cardiology, I'd say, no, thank you. Um, behavioral <laughs> health is where it's at for me. You'd say, Terry, you're going to stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Cause that's yeah. one of my top specialties. Yep. Yep. So those behavioral health and mental health services, um, there it's really been interesting because as you know, and you and I've been in healthcare a long time, mm-hmm. I would say 20 years ago, even they just weren't covered. I mean, if somebody comes in with, you know, depression or anxiety, we'd be like, okay, what else do you have? <laughs> so that we didn't right. even have to pull the diagnosis. But I've noticed, and I don't know if the pandemic hit, you know, basically a, a mental health kind of wall where I've noticed now a lot more coverages in the behavioral health, mental health space. It's also been expanded like nothing I've ever seen before. Oh, I totally agree. I think right back in the day. And yes, <laughs> I've been in the business 35 years as well. I Me too. To yeah. That. Yeah. I hate to say it out loud, but it's the truth. Me too. Um, We used to think about um, yeah, exactly what you said. Do you have another diagnosis or really, yeah. you know, if, if you, if you say depression, you're going to be limited, they're not going to pay as much. This right. could, you know, it, it, it definitely has made some changes. And I think COVID itself maybe has catapulted that for sure. I, th- I think it did too. And it also, um, kind of expanded into telehealth. They made some permanent changes to coverage that's only for behavioral health. So I thought, and, and actually it kind of makes me, I'm actually conflicted. I'm very happy mm-hmm. that they're finally recognizing behavioral health and mental health conditions and issues. But as you and I know, when we expand coverages and when they don't put in enough guardrails, we get bad actors. So I wanted to chat today about some of the proposed Medicare final rule and fee schedule for 2024 issues. And I'm just a little confused about, again, where the specifics, where the guardrails, where the oversight is on some of the policies. So let me get started with, first of all, um, there is, it looks like there's possibly going to be coverage, and I mean payments, for (laughs) a marriage and family therapist or MFT. But that's surprising to me because as you're, you know, we see all these different, and I'm air quoting, licensed mental health care providers. I don't even see them really allowing for licensed, you know, clinical social workers sometimes or independent social workers. So can you kind of speak to what you're thinking on some of the things they're adding to this pie that we really don't have a lot more slivers to hand out? And and I'm kind of (laughs) concerned about it. Yeah, I, I am super concerned, mainly because the 
mental health professionals as it stands is like alphabet soup. So yeah. which what I mean by this is you could be licensed in one state and then the other state has a very similar acronym for a, a certain type of licensure, but may not be the same. It may not be the same schooling or certification or a number of hours. I think that I I need everyone to really keep their eyes peeled for when November comes around, because I think you and I are both going to be surprised where they're going with this. Being that, generally speaking, they've even uh, called it, uh, you know, counseling social worker and yeah. really inevitably they've only ever allowed licensed independent social workers on Medicare. Right. And really, I know you probably know this as much as I do, that that it's been the LPCCs or the professional counselors who have been fighting to come aboard even as an independent licensure. Oh, man. Well, my, my concern, too, is that so from what I'm what I read and you're the professional on this, you're the expert. I'm really getting my feet wet in the last few years on this. So. Um, I'll, I'll kind of defer to you, but it seems like there's six core mental health professionals. There's the clinical social worker, the clinical psychologist, the psychiatrist, um, professional clinical counselors, as you mentioned, which I mean, that just is a disarray of who knows. And then psychiatric <laughs> nurse specialists. Seems like those mm -hmm. are kind of in, in that realm. But then again, you get this, um, I hate to call it generic, but you get the, the generic, you know, licensed independent counselor, licensed independent social worker. And those are very similar to the clinical social worker, that one particular, but I'm worried about, I guess I'm concerned about some of the independent, if you will, um, clinicians, and let's just call them that because that's what I think what they're referring them to, that are going to be empowered to, pro to provide and get paid for care independently. But I'm not even seeing supervision requirements for by medical practitioners who also have a license in mental health or, you know, um, what what the patients they didn't even put diagnosis oversight out there. Right. And I get that this, you know, is a Medicare thing we're talking about and, and we'll see how the commercial plans follow. But I, I worry for the elderly that this could be opened up to the point where you don't have somebody qualified providing the service. And I guess being qualified is subjective, which it should be more objective. Oh, I, I really agree with that. And I think that when we first saw the you know flash news or news flash come out from Medicare CMS, we were like, Wait, you and what? I both were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they're what what are they calling uh mental health counselors? What what are they considered? And really they yeah. don't they don't define it. They, they don't, don't get deeper for us as far as that's this or that. They may give tell you that they have to be a master's or doctorate and they can, you know, have some type of licensures, but I'm I really want to stress that every state is different and doing business in different states for behavioral health. Even I have to learn new acronyms every time a, a new state comes aboard for, as a billing client or even a consulting client to, to, okay, well, wait a minute, what, what kind of licensure is that? How many, you know, where, what kind of services? And I think that one of the things here in Ohio that just makes me really pause about this is that our Medicaid, right? Different than Medicare, but our yes. Medicaid recognizes so many levels of these providers. And because CMS put out their notice, many of those Medicaid providers just thought this was going to be an open door for all their clinicians. And it's yeah. not. 
Well, we have the same thing here in California. And my, the one thing that um, I was concerned with, so I had now have clients, medical doctors and DOs and nurse practitioners and PAs that are all saying, well, I don't specifically have mental health experience, but since I can build directly to, I, mean, I can't even say without being amused a little bit, but you know, I don't, I can, I can build directly to Medicare or to the payer. I I'm qualified. Right. And I don't have an answer for them. I'm, I'm thinking now I have to look at best practices or common sense even. Well, if you don't have experience in that, I mean, it almost reminds me the fact that, you know, I'm a certified coder times who knows how many, you know, I've got all the alphabet soup. Right. But I don't do like, for example, somebody asked me the other day something and I don't even remember what it was, but it was just a specialty that I don't do. And I'm just like, that's, you know, that's not my specialty, but thanks for playing. I think it was labs. And uh, yeah. they were just like, um, but you're a coder. I go, yeah, I'm a coder, but I'm also very specialized and I stay in my lane. And that, but I see that because reimbursements are going down and because people are trying to find these, and I don't like to call them side hustles in healthcare, but let's say revenue opportunities, even though you and there I you both go. know it's a side hustle. <laughs> it's a side hustle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, like you said, the open door and just expanding things. And here's something that's really scary. I was talking to one of our fellow members, a really good friend of mine, Christine Hall, who, yeah. who dabbles in this too. And her and I were chatting and she was saying, and she, her and I were actually on another podcast. And she was saying that during a well check visit for a child, um, something was mentioned about the child saying, yeah, I don't really like my math teacher and, but we're working through that. I got a tutor and I'm figuring it out. Well, then the, the doctor actually put there that the, the patient was depressed due to some social determinant of health of not being able to focus in school. And the mother's oh, like, we goodness. never, we never said that. We don't want him labeled. We never said that. He just said that he doesn't like his math teacher. So to me, again, without having specific guardrails and you know black and white of this is how you do it where do you see this heading sonda i just it it makes me very nervous i am completely nervous and guardrails is really a good word because in this business if they're not there <laughs> somebody's going over um it's just a problem for me because even the struggle here when we have these lower level and i don't even like to use lower level okay just it, it it's kind of just the way we see it because we're looking like this can this licensure can do this this licensure can do that you know and, and on my right, arm right. here i'm going all the Physicians, way down mid-levels and then you go under that right but there are state right. guidelines on some of these folks where you look at them and and it literally says cannot diagnose oh, okay so that's going to be a challenge okay Okay. So that, that actually, you know, almost falls with some of the ambiguity we see with medical assistance. Every state is different. And I <laughs> see, you know, you, you were amused. You're like, oh yeah, I deal with that too. But cannot diagnose is probably, that should be a bumper sticker. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you don't have, you know, ability to diagnose and, and make medical decisions independently, then maybe yeah. this, maybe you have to look at this differently, but I could just see this going down a rabbit hole that, I mean, what, in, in a weird way. So I, I wanted to clarify with our listeners, you know, if you are truly a mental health professional, if you're truly a behavioral health professional, you know, Sonda specifically, since this is what she specializes in setting you up with, you know, the coding rules and, and how to provide this in your practice, we want you to be able to do it, but right our concern is, is that a lot of 
providers, physicians will say, um, are looking to hire very inexpensive staff to take over this um, very important carve out of healthcare. And if we're really going to embrace mental health and the behavioral health services, it really should be with you know clinicians and healthcare professionals who actually have the schooling, the education, the background, the experience to do that and not just saying, well, we're going to just um, give them a two-hour class in our office yeah. and then we'll make up some kind of credential and, you know, cert certificate. And that's what worries me because I don't find anything that says they couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I don't either. And I, again, when they wrote in, like, I think it was a frequently asked questions, they say license or certification, which oh. is really scaring me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I can give a certification for training something <laughs> yeah. on somebody. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, I think you're right. I, I think that, look, we all, we all are looking to save money in healthcare in terms of you know, bringing on staff, but you still have to bring on the right staff and you could really be hurting patients if you don't get somebody who is trained. And again, we're not saying anything against those who are aspiring um, in the field, just new and, and want to see this go through. It's you just have to have experience. It, it's as if like you would not want me coding cardiology. Well, I need experience and it's going to take a while. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, to me, it reminds me of when the pandemic started and everybody and I try, I mean, I've been teaching mm. telehealth for 20 years, but prior to the pandemic, it was like pulling teeth, trying to get any providers on board, even ones in rural areas. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, oh my gosh, my, my phone lines were flooded. Emails were <laughs> flooded. Terry, help us, help us. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, we'll get it done. But I just remember getting this one provider, I, I, you'll get where I'm going with this, um, that called me and said, okay, so how can I set up for telehealth? And I said, well, what kind of provider are you? And she said, I'm an acupuncturist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I and I went, what? Oh. <laughs> so Put I thought somebody was punking me. <laughs> Place the needle just one yeah. centimeter. Like, how, how do you do that over? You know, she goes, well, mm -hmm. I can set up where an audio and video. I'm like, no, you need to call somebody else because that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that that's what this kind of reminds me of in, in a way, only because, again, I just I don't see the the clear guidelines and and I believe that every provider really wants to do what's right and, and what's appropriate, mm -hmm. but they look for these guidelines. I even have doctors saying, well, tell me where it says I can't do that, you know, and that's yeah. hard to find. <laughs> but um, I think the one thing that's helpful, and I'm not sure you've seen this in screening for behavioral health services, mm -hmm. if a doctor finds something and that patient doesn't even have to have a uh, diagnosis, but if they find something, it says if they, they have to follow up with that transfer to an actual professional that has the background in mental health services, it seems like Medicare at least closed that loophole. It can't just be, <laughs> yeah. you know, sending them over to anybody. Yeah. And, you know, just as a, a side note, I was working with a group in Pennsylvania and the, a carrier in Pennsylvania was actually telling them they had to do this. This was like a big deal. And I'm sure you know, this is like, you got to do a depression screening on everybody who comes in. Oh, that was what they were saying, which really wasn't 
you know, they were saying that more of it was like a gut check. Like if yeah. you really feel like your patient is saying something to you and you want to screen them, that would be the most appropriate time. But in, in obviously when I was auditing, I said, how come there is a procedure code? And I'm going to say GO444 for everybody. That's a depression screening right. on every patient. Well, the insurance carrier told us we have to. Oh my God. And as you can imagine, after unpacking that, that wasn't the actual story, but even that screening piece had to be reined in where we were like, this is just one code that got out of hand. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I get, I had, I was reading, I, I know this is going to, you're going to find this unbelievable, but nowadays nothing surprises me. I was auditing a record recently and the patient, I guess, was heavy into fantasy football and mm. they kept losing every week. So their depression level was really high. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? Mine would be too. I know. And so they basically put depression in their record. Um, the other one was the patient um, no longer could get DoorDash delivered from her favorite restaurant. Be I know I'm face planning to you, Sonda. Mm. And the, the doctor said, you know, put, try to put that in as a depression. I'm like, people, you common sense has to take over here at some yeah. point. You know, look at the look at what depression definition is. That's not it. You know, that that's, you know, having a, right. a disappointment, but that's not depression. And trying to talk the doctors out of that is really tough. You know, and when I explain to them, okay, when you have for some, for example, the pandemic and somebody that was now forced to be shut in and now they're afraid to go out because, you know, let's face it, social media and a lot of the propaganda against certain vaccines, certain things or certain um, viruses, whatever, mm -hmm. is they're out there to kind of cause fear. And, right. you know, even for patients who aren't compromised, which is a bummer. And so, yes, when you get that kind of conversation and you have to kind of walk the patient back from the ledge, yes, that's absolutely something that you could, you know, document well that could be on the verge of that. But when you start to get silly and, and add things that are activities of daily living that they, they're just not, you know, able to do, it just... I get nervous because now it seems like everything the patient says to the provider is going to be under the behavioral health or mental health. And the pie is not that big. And I just feel right. like it's going to pull resources, pull reimbursement when it's, it's, it's just not there, you know, and I, I get nervous about that, especially because of the expansion into telehealth where the patient then doesn't even have to come in. So, yeah, you that's, know, that's hard to take. Well, yeah, because now you're not even looking at their demeanor, you know, they're, mm -hmm. you know, are they focusing? Are they just looking at their phone or, you know, and, and again, I'm not a healthcare uh, behavioral health, you know, clinician, um, used to be a nurse, but not in that field. <laughs> but I, but as, as a former clinician, I do recognize where there, there has to be a, a fine line somewhere that, that the, isn't overstepped. So I have a question to you because I know sometimes I going to go off on a tangent. How, how do you set this up for, you know, I noticed on, on your website that you, you specialize in setting up these, these uh, community behavioral health, and I think you call it redesign and you shut, you show them what the documentation has to look like, the coding rules. Where do you start if somebody wanted to open the door to this, this specialty? I think that you have to start with, who they're going to serve and what your what their thought process is in that. Are you going to see Medicare patients? Are you going to see Medicaid? Are you going to have commercial? Who's going to be working 
um, who's going to be designing this clinical program. I mean, with some of the groups that we have, which is kind of interesting too, to talk about real quick is that, you know, we're having where things that were normally done in the hospital are now being done in freestanding facilities for substance use disorder, um, in addiction medicine, it's really opened up the door on who can provide what service and making sure that they're getting accredited or certified in their state. So again, understanding who they're going to serve, you know, if they say, well, this is only going to be for mental health for um, depression, anxiety, or whatever, or they're saying we'd like to take care. Usually we're finding out a lot of <laughs> some pop-ups for, okay, for addiction medicine, good, listen, there's good and bad and everything, but there are people who are on a mission who may be sober 10 years, but want to now have been back to school and want to open a facility and maybe no, don't even know all the rules. And in our state, there is a special certification. And now I'm happy to say, and I know people aren't in this state aren't necessarily going to agree with this, is that along with that state certification, they're requiring joint commission or CARF or OAC. So they're attaching a national accreditation board to it. Yeah. It was only the local board and giving a certification and now they're marrying that. And I feel like that was a really good move to say, we're going to make sure that everybody is set up right, is doing the right thing and is approaching the patient from a clinical perspective. I myself, again, like you, I'm not, I'm not even a nurse, but, <laughs> or have been a nurse, but I'm not clinically driven. So I just have to understand their business operation look their mission, how can I make their mission work for them if they truly want to help the patient? And then our company doesn't do credentialing, but I know a lot of good credentials and, and it depends on what you're looking for and what, again, the licensure level and who you're going to bring in. And we're able to say you can't bring in that level of service or that person can't see your commercial patients, but they can take care of your Medicaid. And maybe they can in this state, but not that state. So it takes a lot of research on my part too. If somebody's going to call me from Oklahoma, I may not know the rules and I'm going to have to go look. Right, right. Well, it, cause, so it sounds like what you specialize in is really setting them up with almost a, a business plan, if you will, of how to get this started, how to implement the rules for coding, the rules for reimbursement, documentation, and then you have partnerships to be able to do, you know, who has to set them right. up with credentialing and then accessing those payers, which is awesome because... You know, and, and I want to make sure our listeners know, you know, Sandy and I really, Sandy and I really believe that this is, it's an important carve out of healthcare. It is. Totally. And, and the fact that, <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the fact that the payers are starting to recognize behavioral health and mental health. It's the commercial plans realize that it's, it's kind of a reimbursement, um, I hate to say this, but suck. It really definitely pulls from their profit margin. So they're not quite as expansive as, as Medicare and Medicaid. And in our state too, Medicaid is all over this. You yeah. know, they really believe that the, the lower income people who qualify for Medicaid really can benefit from this. And I think for the most part, I would say probably 80%, I think it's appropriate. Yeah. But you do have the bad actors. You do have the, mm -hmm. you know, where somebody doesn't have a, sp a specific payable diagnosis, they're like, oh, but if I use this, I can get you, you know, services, which is bad. Um, <laughs> Very bad. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, you know, just kind of giving some advice to anybody trying to get into this space, I think it's important, first of all, Sandra, you made a great point. Who is, instead of who is your audience, who who is your 
patient population that you're trying to mm -hmm. um, address, that you're trying to target, right? So that's the first thing. And then um, what staff members is it, do, do they have, or are they thinking of hiring? And mm -hmm. what kind of background or certification or credentialing or licensure do they have? Is that the next thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have to understand, again, state to state's going to be a little bit different as we get into, you know, um, mental health and addiction. It's a little bit different than saying, like, we're so used to being able to see, well, you need an MD or a DO or a CNP right. or PA and all those acronyms that I'm saying, but, you know, yeah. a, a certified nurse practitioner or PA or a um, physician, right, are things we're just typically used to and understand the rules and are are kind of like almost national, nationally accepted, even though, you know, they're different state to state licensure and that's too long to get into that whole scenario. But when you get down to the mental health providers, this becomes more of an alphabet soup than we've ever been used to. And it takes time to understand which each state allows what they call them. They might call them a, in the addiction world, they might call them a licensed chemical addiction counselor. They might call them a certified addiction counselor. It's we, I mean, that's even on another realm. It's interesting to know what the mental health providers are, but now we have even different levels of substance use. And there's a lot of question out there whether Medicare will address that. And I haven't seen anything just yet. Okay. And then when we get into the licensed independent social worker or clinical social worker, is that more about um, social determinants of health? I, I was just trying to figure out what their services would be covered. No, I mean, the licensed independent social worker is typically doing psychotherapy. Um, okay. For Medicare, you, it's typically there's got to be a physician order for it to happen. So I think mean, we're okay. still having a referral base, although you can hang up your own shingle and you know, again, all, all the rules are of, of the commercial carriers are going to be a little bit different on how you have to sometimes, um, again, having the right electronic medical record is key. And in, in, uh, in uh, the state of Pennsylvania, we found out that it was very difficult changing this one client's electronic medical record because it couldn't do what the state required in the treatment plan. Oh, So, I mean, there are so many variables with who looks at the treatment plan and you know how we say every enm must stand alone an enm meaning evaluation and management for those yes. who don't know that term and that you don't look at the chart you don't send the chart consequently when someone's providing therapy typically the carriers will want the first assessment that decided where the therapy was needed and creating that They'll want to see the treatment plan and then they'll want to see the individual services, whatever dates they're looking for. So there's a little bit more to it than just send the psychotherapy note. Well, and you just brought up something on EM services. Remember, listeners, most of these services are not EMs. They're therapy, right. they're therapy codes, they're specific codes to mental health, they are behavioral health screenings. So if you're thinking these are office visits, think again. These the, the these um, professionals with all the different acronyms, though they cannot bill directly for EM services. That sticks with MDDO and mid-level providers, you know, nurse practitioners, PA. So, and they may not be able to, if they don't have, you know, certain education when it comes to mental health. I know some payers are like, no, you don't even do that, but um, try to stay away from the ENM services. But I, you know, one of the things just to wrap this up, I think um, the first thing, or the, I should say the final thing I want to tell the listeners, 
before you jump into anything, <laughs> do your due diligence, find somebody like Sonda that understands what you need to do to at least even start the process mm -hmm. and make sure that you're not just saying somebody told you, I always get that from practices, well, yeah. we were told and yeah. we're like, who told you that? And then they don't know who told them that, you know, another doctor down the street's doing this. So I'm going to do it. That line. Paid. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, just because you get paid doesn't mean oh, they can't yeah. take it back. Yeah. Um, but if you're truly have a patient population where you're located, that really could benefit from mental health and behavioral health services, then by all means, you know, really start to, to do your due diligence to see if it's appropriate. Also, we should let you know, um, Sonda and I are working on a, a project for next year, yeah. a virtual health behavioral health summit, and it's going to be um, in webinar form. So you'll have a little bit more, you know, paperwork to be able to reference. So take a look yeah. at that for next fall. So we're excited about that. Completely excited about that. It, it, it will be so fun teaming up to do that and getting everybody together to talk about behavioral health and giving, you know, the audience a little bit more information. Yeah, no, I'm excited about that. Well, Sonda, thank you so much for being our subject matter expert and our guest today on the podcast. Thank you. Loved being here. Loved the subject. It was fun for me. So this topic could not come at a better time with the Medicare final rule proposal that did expand behavioral and mental health services for 2024. And we all need to be clear on what will be covered so that we don't burden patients with bills they won't be expecting because you never know what could be non-covered. So we definitely appreciate Sonda's time and her insights on this. So to contact Sonda Kunze, go directly to the nschbc.org website and click on find a consultant tab and type in Sonda, S-O-N-D-A. I keep calling her Sondi, maybe it's my nickname for her, but it's S-O-N-D-A in the first name field or Kunzi, K-U-N-Z-I in the last name field and you'll have her direct contact information. Also as a reminder, the nschbc.org website offers monthly free webinars on a variety of topics as well as the quarterly Medicare regulatory update please go to the nschbc.org, click on the tab for upcoming education. Our next Medicare update is Tuesday, December 19th, and that is presented by yours truly, Terry Fletcher. That's it for us today. Everyone make it a great day, a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to this NSCHBC Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.